the property pod. Pod. pod welcome to the property pod with moneyweb the property sector is an ever-changing sector and in this podcast series your host suren naidu chats to movers and shakers in the property industry hello welcome to the latest episode of the property pod south africa's premier property investor podcast my name is suren naidu and on this podcast show, we gain insider insights from leading executives, analysts, developers, and entrepreneurs in SA's expansive property industry. We are already halfway through the year, so a SA rich review of sorts. It's an opportune time for that. It seems to be a sea of red, with most listed property stocks down some double digits for 2023 to the end of June. On the podcast today, we are speaking to Naeem Tilly of Sesfikile Capital for some insights and analysis. Tilly is the portfolio manager and head of research at Sesfikile. Naeem, welcome to the Property Pod. Thanks, Suren. Happy to be here. So how did the SA sector perform in the first half of 2023? Obviously, the different funds have their different half years and year ends, but just overall from a total return perspective in terms of the two relevant indexes, the SAPI and the LP. Yeah, you started off quite well by describing that it was a bit of a sea of red across a lot of the stocks. The indices themselves were down about, as the SEPI was down about 4.4% and the RP down 3.9% respectively. I mean, that compared to the all share, which is the, the index we use for equities, that is up 5.9% and bonds were up 1.8 and cash about 37 So it had underperformed a lot of the peer asset groups within the SA or domestic landscape. If I just like dive in a little to give some reasons why, I think if we break it down into the two quarters, the first quarter, and it's not just isolated to the local property sector, but also equities, load shedding was the big theme. We all remember January and February, and even into March, April, we've had a load shedding stage sixes, and it put a lot of pressure on property stocks as there was uncertainty on where a lot of tenants could operate. The recovery of some of the costs, I mean, generators, diesel generators were costing about three to four times more to run than your normal electricity from the grid. And so there's a lot of issues around cost pressures and tenant viability. And that put pressure on the sector. It was down quite sharply in the first quarter of the year. And then in April, things started to look reasonably strong. I mean, we recovered. I think valuations were very attractive. But then in May, again, something we all know well about the whole <laughs> Russia and the secret arms sales and also granting immunity to the Russian president. A lot of own goals, but that didn't bode too well. Where We saw bond yields shoot up to over 12% and the rand had weakened close to 20 rand to the dollar. It seems like it was just yesterday when all of these things happened. And again, domestic assets, not just local property, all sold off. We have seen subsequently a bit of recovery. I think a lot of that got to do with that political risk easing a bit. Also, load sharing seems to have the whole concern about it have subsided. I think ESCOM has done a reasonably good job thus far in terms of where we are. I think we've also had some demand that is a bit lower. We had some good winds in the Cape and all contributing. That's a lot of renewable energy coming through as well. I think all of that contributing to perhaps avoiding worse than we had in the first part of the year. And so we've seen a bit of a stabilization towards the end of the half. But nonetheless, we still ended down for this half of the year. Well, some may say the comment then, Sea of Red, may be a little bit unreasonable. Just for clarity, that's from a total return perspective as opposed to pure share price performance, hey? Correct, total return. So you 100% property does tend to have quite a bit of income. Again, a lot depends on when companies do report their income or their dividend yields. 
And so on a total return basis, that is down 4%. Uh, I would estimate about 3 to 4% income in that number for, say, half of a year, maybe a little bit more. And which were the top performers and I suppose the worst performers in H1 from a total return perspective? As you may know, the, the OP has a few offshore stocks and with the, the end being quite weak in the first half, you'd expect a lot of these offshore counters to have done quite well. Also with load shedding, there was a bit of an escape out of SA into some of these more global names. So one stock that did perform exceptionally well was MLI which is a UK industrial REITs company. The reason for outperformance, partly the rent, but also what happened in March, Blackstone came and made an offer for the company at 168p. There was a 42% premium to where the stock was trading at at the time. So it was a bit of a takeout. The stock was trading at discount net asset value, and Blackstone saw an opportunity to buy this listed company at a discount and hence the significant premium they paid for it. So um, it's not necessarily reflective of, I would say, all companies, but yeah, it was a takeout return. We also saw a company called Sirius. They've done exceptionally well this half. They were up 31%. Again, another offshore company, exposure to Germany and the UK, and no a lot of concerns about what's happening in those economies. But if you look at some of the operational data that's been coming out, it's quite impressive. I mean, it's still seen rental growth of 5 to 6%. And also, there was some speculation, because the company is quite similar to Industrial Street, that if Blackstone had come for Industrial Street, there may be an opportunity because Sirius was trading also at a significant discount at the time. So a little a bot of speculation that there may be a takeout there. Another offshore was probably in third place was Shaftesbury Capital. Shaftesbury was the old capital in counties that merged with Shaftesbury end of last year. Towards the start of this year, it was concluded. That is up 27%. Again, part of it was the rent, but also some of the data that's coming out. And I remember the UK average consumer hasn't been too well, but the sales data coming out of UK retail has been fairly defensive in nature. And I think that Shaftesbury had benefited from tourism coming back into the UK. And because sales have been quite strong, it's not reflective of the average UK consumer. You're looking at a lot of luxury and upmarket stores. So the spending is quite defensive here. And as a result of sales surpassing 2019 levels, rentals haven't really caught up. So there's this expectation that you are going to see quite good rental growth from this precinct, and remember, Covent Garden, big tourist destination, Chinatown, Carnaby Street, some impressive locations within the West End of London. And then the, the fifth spot for the outperformers, really the Fortress A. And this is an interesting one because Fortress, you may remember, has lost its REIT status. Yes, I was going to joke about that, but uh, continue. Yeah, so they lost their REIT status last year. Shareholders didn't vote in favor of a capital restructure. It's up 22% this year. And I think part of it got to do with the fact that they have been retaining a lot of cash. And something definitely we're talking about a bit later is the interstate environment. Now, in this environment, you want companies to have that cash to be able to either settle debt that's refinancing or even if the swaps are expiring to give you a little bit more flexibility in how you structure your debt. So with this massive cash retention, I think it gives them a lot more freedom to manage that interstate risk. But there's also a little bit of speculation in that if that capital restructure has to take place again, what will actually happen? Where is it better to be positioned between Fortis A and B? There hasn't been any update. I mean, we're not aware of any progress, but I think there are some shareholders that are looking to take sides and maybe when the restructure is proposed, then it will play in their favor. I think that's speculation for now. I mean, if we move on to the underperformers, the common theme I'm going to say up front here is really around interest rates. You've got equities 
Investec redefined resilient and growth point, probably the first three main, and even growth point. What happened was that these companies, all, most of them reported either the results or pre-close updates. And a common theme amongst most of them was the impact of higher interest rates and how it's coming through in terms of the earnings. Now, if you look at the listed property sector, again, I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but if you go look at the sector, we've got about 80% of all debt, which is fixed. But if you look at the rate at which interest rates have increased, it's not a gradual increase. Over the last two years, if my numbers are not, not mistaken here, you're looking at almost a 400 basis point increase in the Chaiba. That's the, really the pace rate we look at. And the rate of increase means that even if you had most of your debt fixed, that portion which is unfixed, or the floating rate component is really what's going to come under a lot more pressure and also on any of your swaps or fixes that expire in that year. So the common theme around all these companies is really around interest rates and the pace at which it increased over the last few months and how that's impacting. Equities had a little bit of a different situation or partly related to interest rates, but also because of UK logistics valuations have fallen so much. In UK, kilts have increased quite significantly and put pressure across all UK valuations, asset values. And so logistics was trading at, in many cases, very, very low yields. And with that adjustment that we are seeing in the UK logistics market, they had seen a 20% reduction in asset values in the UK. And so a lot of their pressure came from that. And also the fact that they were paying out income from cross-currencies, which they're no longer paying out. So a little bit of accounting changes as well thrown in the mix there, which led to severe underperformance within equities. Well, it surprised the market somewhat, the whole equities thing. I see they're talking about divesting uh, partly from, or if not all, from the UK. But it's interesting even with the Investec, you know, a while back they were going into Europe and they have exited some of those investments, I think, more UK-wise. I know we talked about top five, but I see the likes of like a Hammerson from a share price perspective was up quite a bit. And maybe some of the SA locally listed rates that were up, I'm not sure about total return for attack, but attack was up double digits on a share price level. Yeah, that's right. So if I touch on Hammerson first, Hammerson, again, one of the offshores that benefit from the weaker rent. The consumer in the UK, as I mentioned, was quite weak, but Hammerson's gone through this phase where the asset values have already been written down. I think in the UK, from, I think, 60, 65% down from peak to trough. Wow. Yeah, that hasn't even been related to the higher interstate environment. That's while e-commerce started to grow quite rapidly in the UK and the impact of sales dropping and tenants right-sizing the stores and only creating flagship stores and sentiment towards UK retail as a whole. A lot of CVAs taking place. Part of this was before COVID. COVID accelerated some of the teams as well. So a lot of the pain had actually come well before this rate environment that we are currently seeing. The argument here is as it entered the year, the valuations compared to other UK companies that were already written down and they've been signing rentals that are still well above where the market rentals are or at least where ERVs are in their portfolio. So the, the belief is that a lot of the bad news within the UK market have already been priced in and I think that gave them a bit of a springboard going forward in that if the bad news is in and if we start delivering some disposals and if, we, if our rentals prove to be higher than what the previous rental was, I think there could be a bit of some upside and I think that's why it's done so well this year. There was a bit of a risk on into some of these companies. Attack is an interesting one. So Attack is actually, you're 100% right, it's almost 17% up for the year. What happened earlier this year was they sold a stake of their waterfall precinct. Hmm. So the land, including some of the existing assets, are in a sort of separate entity and they sold 
uh, if I remember correctly, I think 20 or 30 percent of that to the GEPF. And they sold it at a quite an attractive valuation. And that what that means is that with that care share would be able to reduce the debt. And also with the LTV drop into 25 percent, it gives them some capacity to actually roll out some other developments because there was some concern that they didn't have enough debt to actually roll out this development pipeline. And also with that, they'll get some lower margins. Uh, there could be some accretion coming through on the income side. So it all pointed to quite a nice little uplift in earnings and a much better balance sheet or lower LTV. And I think that's one of the big reasons why attack outperformed so significantly this year. So mm. it's a good essay story that you've got a, a very defensive portfolio, operationally doing quite well, generally longer term leases. They haven't seen too much pressure coming through on the operational side. They had some issues with Celsius and Transnet building earlier this year, but that's a work in progress. They seem to be dealing with it. And so overall, it's a good essay story, we think. It's a good essay story. I'm not going to ask you a question on it, but I often joke about it that even they are concerned about offices and they don't call offices offices anymore. I think they use the word collaboration hubs. Yeah. Seems like offices is a bit of a swear word. Talking interest rates, can we have a little bit of a comparison? I know you focus pretty much on the SA red stocks, but how are the US and Australian markets doing? The reason I ask this is because there seems to be a lot of news out of the US around concerns around real estate financing. And it seems South Africa might be better positioned from that perspective, even if the US might be doing better in terms of their stocks on the REIT side. So if we look at the REIT indices, and I'm going to compare it both in ZA and US dollars, the main reason if you're a South African investor, you would have done exceptionally well investing in a lot of these markets because of weakness in the rent. I think it's a little bit misleading. It doesn't really give you a flavor of what's actually happening on the ground. But in U.S. dollars, I mean, the U.S. is actually up this year about 5.5% or till June. Other markets that have actually done quite well include Singapore, Canada, Australia is down 1.7%, and the U.K. down about 2.7%. Europe is down about 7%. So it's a mixed bag. I think the U.S. has done quite well given the concerns around commercial real estate. And when I say commercial real estate, you mentioned about the banks. So what's the whole story about the regional banks and the exposure to the commercial real estate market, there's a lot of concern that we're going to see significant write-downs of assets. I think what's important to highlight that a lot of these assets that the regional banks own and where the concern really is, is around offices. So we haven't really seen a return to the office. A lot of people still working from home. And we've seen some companies like Brookfield actually were unable to let some of their buildings and they simply gave the keys back to the bank because it was on secure debt. So there is a lot of negativity around offices within the U.S. I mean, vacancies are currently at about 18.5% across the U.S. Of course, there are some markets which are doing better than others and certain type of assets are doing better than others. But overall, the market is under a lot of pressure. However, that doesn't necessarily mean the rest of the market's doing poorly. I mean, office is quite a small component. The U.S. market as a whole is very diversified. I mean, if you've got logistics, and even within offices, funny enough, the traditional office is the underperforming asset class, but within offices is something called life science buildings. And life science buildings really are office-like buildings that are let out to research and sort of research and development type tenants, which actually have been performing quite well. So within offices as well, as I mentioned, it's not pure office in a traditional sense. Nonetheless, the concern I think is definitely around office and valuations are likely to fall significantly as some of these regional banks face issues. But the rest of the market, logistics has sort of found a footing and doing quite well now. Data centers performing exceptionally well following the whole AI revolution. And now this need for not just storage space within the data centers, but also the process and power that some of these data centers actually provide as well. So the overall U.S. market has 
done reasonably well. And then against this backdrop of rising interest rates, Australia has underperformed mainly because of rising rates across the market. But most importantly from that list is probably Europe. Europe is sitting at 7% down in US dollars this year compared to the US, which have generally have stronger balance sheets. The European stocks actually have very high LTVs, weak balance sheets, a lot of concern around the viability of some of these companies and what evaluation write-downs would mean for these companies. Certain regions like Sweden and even German residential stocks have come under significant pressure because of this weak balance sheets. So they've underperformed really because they entered this market in a much poorer position, relatively speaking, to like a US or even Australia and UK. So South Africa, I mean, we're down 4% in rand terms. In US dollar terms, we're down 14%. So in a like-for-like currency, I mean, we have significantly underperformed many of these street markets globally. Thanks for that very in-depth there. Just two more questions. I know we're running out of time, but just to catch you there, what are your top stock picks for the rest of the year then? We're still fairly defensively positioned in that we like Napi Rock Castle. This is trading at roughly a 10% yield in euro terms, which we think is fantastic. We think that growth will probably slow. Then We know they do have some debt refinancing risk, but the performance, I mean, we were both there, funny enough, not long ago, looking at EPP and global worth, but then following that, they had a Napi Rock Castle side visit. It appears as if the low unemployment is feeding into very strong wage growth, and so the shopping centers, and that's where Napi Rock Castle has exposure, is still recording very strong growth. And also indexation, remember their leases grow in line with European inflation, and European inflation is still fairly high, so there's a nice little underpin for rental growth. Our other one we do like is Shaftesbury. We spoke about the Covent Garden and the tourism, and I don't know if I mentioned, but basically their rentals, even though sales are above 2019 levels, their rentals are now about 10 or 11% below what they were in 2019. So forget about valuations, you know, interest rates are going, their rentals, pure rental income, is, there's still a lot of upside, and hence one of the reasons we do like it. But overall, I think if I have to just capture like the local market in sort of a very short sentence. I was going to ask about that because there's no local counties mentioned there. <laughs> yeah, look, if I have to do look at locally, I mean, we, we do like Equitas. I painted a, quite a bleak picture but earlier, but having fallen in a lot of that bad news being priced in, we've turned a little bit more positive on Equitas now. And the reason for that is I think valuations in the UK logistics have stabilized. It's a South African company, but it does have that offshore exposure. Yes. They are disposing of assets. We're quite confident they'll dispose of assets and reduce the LTV to strengthen the balance sheet a bit more. And I think that the local market, we will find rentals growing within the local logistics space. So at these levels, equities is starting to look to decent value. Just to end, it's quite a topical issue, this whole issue of the discounts to NAV in the red sector. What is it sitting at at the moment and which are some of the counters with the deepest NAVs? Because clearly you talked about equities and that was trading at a premium not too long ago. But there must be surely some opportunities in the rich space with such deep discounts. As a sector as a whole, it's sitting at a 38% discount to net asset value. Before I answer that part on which stocks, I think it's important to realize net asset value is what the valuers value the portfolio at. And two pieces of evidence is really that disposals have been taking place very close to book value. That means the transactional market is quite confident in the valuations. And hence, further write-downs are not necessarily justified. And also the independent valuers in the results themselves have been coming out 
at close to book value. So what I'm saying is that valuations, the big driver of the NEV calculation is really stable right now. And again, as I mentioned, based on actual transactional evidence, the stocks 100% right. As I mentioned, 38% on a sector average level. Certain stocks like Redefine are sitting at a 55% discount in net asset value. You're looking at there's a few in the 40s, like a high prop, which owns Canal Walk, sitting at a 48%. What it's telling you is that the market believes that high prop's portfolio needs to be written down significantly. And what we are finding right now is that there's no evidence of that. And I understand that large shopping centers don't trade, but in the absence of transactional evidence, there's no real reason necessarily to write it down so sharply, I think, in the current market. Sorry to interject there, but I thought it was quite interesting because I can't remember the exact statement, but I interviewed Vukile CEO Lawrence Rapp a few weeks ago, and he also talked about, you know, it doesn't really matter, or not doesn't matter, but he questioned the whole NAV thing, and he says that the RIT model needs to look at opportunities. You can't get caught up on the NAV discount and not operate as a RIT. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm going to just throw a little bit in there as well. I mean, NAV is quite important. It shows you what the going concern value of a company. But a lot of investors look at REITs for the income. So on a yield basis, these companies have an, a cash flow yield of 11%, just over 11%. And that's what the cash is generating. And they're paying out about 9% in terms of a dividend. So for us as a fixed income investor, you get in a 9% dividend yield. And perhaps the many investors will say, I can get probably more in a bond. But what property does give you over a bond is the growth. And agreed, currently in the South African market, it's very easy to get caught up and say there's no growth. Perhaps in the short term, we don't think there will be too much growth. We're only looking for about 2.5% growth. It's about flat growth this year and a little bit next year. And that we think will start to improve. A lot of the data coming out shows that vacancies are falling. Rentals are starting to grow, a bit of a low base, but they're starting to grow. So like-for-like growth on the top lines does seem to be creeping in. While interest rates do go up, it means that growth will still be there, but very mildly. And also, people do focus on the essay part. And I understand it's half of our sector. The other half is still showing some growth. So the Napi Rock Castle, the masses of this world, Hammerson Shaftesbury is showing a little bit of growth as well. So the few companies out there still generating a bit of growth. So as an investor in all property, you're not only isolated to, I would say, the office market. You are exposed to a retail sector, a logistics sector, which is also growing, and an offshore market, which is showing some nice growth. So... Overall, we think that 9% dividend, you get 2% growth. And I think there is also some potential for a re-rating in the sector. A lot of these valuations, as we mentioned, I think it's oversold and potentially a bit of a re-rating relative to other asset classes. So we are quite constructive. Perhaps I'm a little bit biased. I look at property <laughs> 24 hours a day, but I do think there is value relative to some of the other asset classes as well. Well, thanks for that, Naeem. I think it's worth noting as well, you know, interest rates may have peaked. And I just say Sapoa's latest office vacancies are down slightly. So it looks like there might be some light at the end of the tunnel for the rich sector. Naeem, thanks so much for your time. That was Naeem Tilly, a portfolio manager and head of research at Sesfikile. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Property Pod with Suren Naidu. To listen to more episodes, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Follow Suren on Twitter at Suren Naidu for more of his property industry content and other business stories.